Acts chapter 2. We are going to pick back up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 40, and we're going to get a little bit into chapter 3 today. Today's message is entitled, How to Be Led by the Spirit. If you've been with us, you know that we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts, and we're learning about the early church, what happened right after Jesus ascended up into heaven. Right, we left off in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended up into heaven. Then we read a couple weeks ago at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 how the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in languages unknown to them, to to praise God in other languages, the gift of tongues. And as they did, there was a crowd that gathered, and they were wondering, "What's, what's going on? What's happening here? And then last week, we read how Peter boldly stood up before that crowd, and he began to share the gospel. Peter ended his address to the crowd in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. It says, Then Peter said to the crowd, Repent! And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This crowd was challenged to change their minds or to repent about who Jesus was. Because just a few weeks earlier, they were crying out, crucify him. He's not the political ruler and reigner we we thought he might be. We don't need him. We want Barabbas instead. And so he called them to repent, to change their mind, and to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, as their Savior. You see, this offer of salvation is for any and all. Not just for the crowd there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but it's for you and me today for any of us who would believe in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Now we pick back up in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. We read about the early church grows. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So remember last week we read Peter's whole address, whole speech to the crowd, and yet here in this very next verse we see that we just have the Spark Notes version, right? You guys remember Spark Notes, right? So when you don't want to read the whole book for school, you can just go online, read a couple highlights, and get a C, and just say, you know what, that's good enough for me, right? Well, that's what we get here. We get the Spark Notes version of Peter's sermon to the crowd. We don't have everything. So with many other words he testified, he exhorted them, and he told them to be saved. And so you're first fill in the blank if you're following along with us. Scripture does not tell us everything, but it does tell us what we need to know. We're not given everything that Peter shared that day, but we're given the spark notes. We're given the important details, the highlights. Scripture doesn't tell us every single detail. And there's a lot of times where we're like, really, Lord? That's where the verse ends or that's where the chapter ends? I want to know more. I want to know what's going on. I want to understand better. But he's given us enough. He's given us what we need to know. Look with me at verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received Peter's word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Pretty amazing. 
Remember the early church had started with 120 disciples in the upper room praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And now with this one day of Pentecost and Peter's preaching and the power of the Holy Spirit, we now have over 3,120 new believers. And notice that those who believed, they were baptized. You see, baptism is a public confession of your faith in Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Right? We're saved by believing in Jesus. He's done all the work for us. But it's kind of like a wedding. Right? A wedding is a public celebration of a husband and wife coming together and being married. And so too, a baptism is that public celebration of somebody identifying themselves as Christ's. I'm a believer. I am His. Baptism is not something that we need to work up to. Oh, I'll get baptized once I'm, you know... I've really, you know, changed my life around or done this or that or I've been, you know, a mature believer. No. You see, these people, they got saved and they were dunked right away because you don't need to earn your way up to be baptized. We also read that baptism is a command. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if you've put your faith in Jesus and you are now a Christian, but you've not yet been baptized, you've not yet publicly declared, I am a believer, I am His, and I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, but I'm going to heaven because He's good and what He's done for me. If you've not yet been baptized, talk to us. We'll take care of it. We'd love to celebrate that with you, your decision. Now picking up in verse 42. It says, And they, the new church, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. It's a pretty big verse because it gives us some of the essentials or foundations, parts of the church. And remember, the church, it's not a building, right? The church are believers. And so the essential parts of the church are essential parts of each of us individually as well. So we're going to look at four essential parts of the church and every believer here in verse 42, starting off with the Apostles' Doctrine, which is studying the Word of God. That's why we teach verse by verse through the Bible, because we want to know God's Word. We want to have more of His Word and less of our own words. The next one is fellowship. Fellowship. It's more than just Christians hanging out. It's Christians encouraging each other in Jesus. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So coming together even more and more as we get closer to His return. Christian fellowship doesn't have to include Bible study or prayer. But it is based on the fact that we have all been saved by Jesus. That's what unites us. That's why we're the body is because we're united in Him. No matter what backgrounds we have or where we come from, we are all His. And so Christian fellowship is any time believers come together to love and encourage each other. That can be fellowship anywhere. Number three, breaking of bread sharing meals together, and also includes taking communion together. That's why we'll take communion once a month. That's why we do stuff like the men's breakfast or potluck. Number four is prayer. 
not just personal individual prayer, but for the church to come together and to pray. For the church to come together and pray for each other. For the church to come together and pray for the persecuted church across the globe. You know, we cover a lot of these four essentials on Sunday mornings. But I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's sometimes hard to really connect with somebody on a Sunday morning. I'm chasing after my kids. I'm trying to say hi to lots of people. It's almost lunchtime, right? My tummy's rumbling already. And that's why we started life groups. Because we can go to a home, a smaller group, and instead of sitting in rows and listening to one person talk, we're sitting in a circle and we're all sharing and we're all getting to encourage each other and hear from each other and pray for each other. And we get that opportunity to grow deeper in the Lord and with each other. If you haven't checked out a life group yet, I encourage you to check it out. We're going to do sign-ups starting in four weeks from today for the next quarter. And it's just a wonderful time for you to get that deeper fellowship that we can't quite get on a, on a busy Sunday morning. So picking up in verse 43, we've got the essentials of the church. They're coming together regularly to study the Word, to fellowship, to share meals, and to pray. And then verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is, again, another time where you're just like, what? I want to know. But we're not given the details. But later on, as we continue through Acts, we are going to get some of the highlights, some of the miracles that the Holy Spirit does through the apostles. Verse 44, Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. If you remember, there were Jews from all over the Roman Empire that had come to gather for the Feast of Pentecost. And that's when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, and that's when Peter preached, and now many of those travelers who were visiting have now put their faith in Christ. They're now saved. They're now part of the early church. They don't want to go home. And so they're there, and so many of the people are selling their possessions to help provide for those who had needs to support each other. And looking at this idea, it reminds me that Scripture can be descriptive or prescriptive. Scripture can be descriptive or prescriptive, meaning sometimes the Scripture is just telling us what happened. Other times the Scripture is telling you and I how we're supposed to live and we're supposed to copy. Here's a good rule of thumb. If Jesus or the New Testament writers command us to do something, then that's a command. We need to obey it. But other times, like in this verse, verse 44, it's simply telling us what happened. We look at the rest of the book of Acts, we look at the rest of the New Testament, and the church is not selling all their possessions and living in, in common together. It wasn't necessarily wrong for them to do, but it's not a command for you and I to follow. What's interesting for me is as I look at this, and we read later in the book of Acts how churches from the rest of the Roman Empire were collecting money to send back to the church in Jerusalem because they were in need. They were in trouble. Perhaps even because they sold their possessions, they needed this offering from the other churches around the Roman Empire. Remember, the apostles knew that Jesus was coming back. 
right? When he ascended up into heaven, the disciples were left staring into the sky. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They knew Jesus was coming back. And now you've got 3,000 brand new believers who are eager to learn everything they can about Jesus. And they're going to find out Jesus is coming back. Surely one of them is going to say, All right, guys, when's he coming? Maybe it was Peter. He loves to speak first, right? He says, Well, he told us to wait for the Holy Spirit, and that took 10 days. So I'm guessing 10 days from now, right? That's my bet. And maybe it was John that says, Peter, always speaking too fast. Remember, Jesus told us he'd come as a thief in the night. So maybe it's even sooner than 10 days, right? Perhaps they were so eagerly expecting Jesus' return that that could have added to their purpose of getting rid of their goods to live for the right now so that we can just celebrate in the temple, party it up until Jesus comes back. Maybe. We don't know for sure. But it's interesting when we look at this passage to wonder, well, what were they thinking? And is it because they gave everything away that they needed the offerings later on in Acts? We don't know. But they did live together. And it was a beautiful picture of the church loving each other in Jesus' name, serving each other with their possessions. Now back to the text in verse 46. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound nice? Church potluck every day. Worship at the temple in Jerusalem every day. The Lord's adding daily to those who are being saved. It sounds exciting. And it's a unique time as the early church is exploding in growth, full of brand new believers. Remember, Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem so they could receive the power. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem was the starting point. And so Jesus had filled the disciples not just with the Holy Spirit, but filled them with the knowledge of Jesus. So now they're pouring out that knowledge to these new believers who are hungry and thirsty to learn and to know and to grow in their own walk with the Lord. You see, God fills us up so we can be poured out. God fills us up so we can be poured out. God blesses us with His Spirit. God blesses us with the knowledge of Him. Not just so that we can have the knowledge. Not just so that we can be closer to Jesus. But so that we can then pour that out to those around us. So how are we being filled up? How are we being poured out? Well, we're filled up by being in the Word, by being in fellowship, by being in prayer. And we're being poured out by loving on people in the name of Jesus. We're being poured out by sharing our faith. We're being poured out by meeting practical needs and saying, hey, I don't know where you're at, but know that Jesus loves you. 
The Lord wants to fill us up so that we can be poured out for this world. Now in Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 through 10, we're going to read a story about a crippled man being healed. Acts chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It was common for the Jews to go to the temple there in Jerusalem and pray three times a day. And so this is one of those times of prayer that Peter and John are now heading to the temple to pray. And verse 2 it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them for alms. You see, at this time, there's no government programs to help those who are in need. And so what they did is they would carry this man and others, and they'd place them at the gate of the temple, and they could ask for money and ask for food. And that's what, that way they would get their needs met. So every day, he's carried to the temple to beg, and he sees Peter and John. And verse 4, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said to the man, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who had sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Later in Acts chapter 4, we find out that this man was over 40 years old. We saw here in this passage that he was carried every day to the same gate at the temple to be asking for, for money. And we know that he was crippled from birth. Therefore, that means the disciples several times before had walked past this guy and continued into the temple. Not only that, but this means that even Jesus himself would have walked past this man and gone into the temple and left the man there. You see, it reminds us that we are not called to meet every need, but to obey as God leads us. We're not called to meet every single need that we can find, but to obey as God is leading us. Remember in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda, it was a pool where, where people who were maimed or crippled or sick, they would all gather at this pool and they would all watch. And when the water stirred, they believed that the first person into the water would be healed. And so there was a huge crowd there every single day. And Jesus went there. But Jesus sneaks in the back. He heals one man, tells him to pick up his mat and go home. And then Jesus leaves. If I were Jesus... I'd have healed everybody. But that's not what Jesus did. Because that's not what the Lord, the God the Father, was calling God the Son to do in that moment. You see, Jesus only did what His Father told Him to do. 
So if Jesus and the disciples have all passed by this crippled man at the temple many times before, what was different this time? Why did this time Peter and John stop and say, look at us? I'll tell you what didn't happen. Peter didn't wake up that day and say, I'm going to heal somebody. Peter didn't wake up and say, I just feel like that would be a cool thing to do. You see, it wasn't up to Peter. And as we study more next week, we're going to see Peter doesn't take any credit. He says, this man was healed in the name of Jesus. He gets the credit. Jesus did the miracle. Jesus is the one who has the power. And so Peter and John, I believe, were going about their business, walking in the Spirit, and Peter felt a tug on his heart. The Holy Spirit nudging him to go over to this crippled man who he's walked past several times before and to invite him to stand up and to heal this man. And so today I want us to look at how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because many of us have been there. We want to be led by the Lord, but we always have those fears of, okay, Lord, is that you speaking to me or is that the Taco Bell that I ate for lunch? Right? What exactly is going on? Because I don't really know. And so step one for being led by the Spirit is to live in His presence. To live in His presence. You see, Peter and John were constantly in the presence of Jesus. Yes, physically, while He was there. But even after He ascended up into heaven, Peter and John continued in the Word. They continued in fellowship. They continued in prayer, taking time to focus on the Lord, to be tuned in to His voice so that they were ready to respond as God led them. We need to live in His presence. And step two, we need to be willing to be interrupted. Willing to be interrupted. Peter and John were headed to the temple to pray. It starts at a specific time, and yet they were willing to change plans. They were willing to be interrupted with their own schedule. Pastor Chuck used to say, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And I liked that. And if we want to be led by the Lord, we need to be flexible. And even in the times we believe we're in God's will and we're doing what He wants, we're still always surprised because it doesn't always work out the way we expect it to. Step three, ask for guidance and opportunities. Ask. It's more than simply studying the Word or being in prayer, but it's specifically talking to God and saying, Lord, today, would you give me an opportunity to serve you? Lord, today, would you give me an opportunity where there's, there's somebody that I can love on or help or serve or pray for and give you all the glory and give you the credit? Lord, give me that opportunity and Lord, would you give me guidance? Because Lord, I've got a thick head. Lord, I need you to make it real clear for me. Give me guidance. Help me to know when you're leading me, what you want me to do, and how you want me to serve. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, the first part of verse 9, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. We get the idea that God is eagerly waiting for us to look to Him and say, Lord, I'm ready. What do you want to do? 
And God is eagerly waiting to use you and me. But He's not going to force it. He wants us to willingly participate. Step four, we need to be willing to step out in faith. The hard part about miracles is that God often calls us to make the first move. There's a story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> in it, there are three enemy nations who have come together to unite against the southern kingdom of Judah. King Jehoshaphat <clears throat> of Judah, he's a godly king, <clears throat> and he's leading his people to pray and seek the Lord because they recognize this multitude of enemies has come together. They're far too great for them to defeat in battle. So they look to the Lord and say, God, we need you to protect us. We need your help in this situation. God tells them this in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. And he, the prophet, said, Listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. <clears throat> it's certainly encouraging to hear that from the Lord, and yet if it were me, I would still be pretty nervous because I would say, Lord, that's great. I didn't want to fight. You said I don't have to fight. That's great. But Lord, you're telling me I need to go out and meet them. That doesn't really make me feel very comfortable. I'd rather stay in my city behind my walls with the gates locked and say, Go get him, Lord. I'm rooting for you. Knock him dead. Maybe I'd even be willing to send out a few scouts that I don't like very much to go see if everything's okay before we go check it out, right? And yet God is calling them, Go out and meet this great multitude. Here's where they're going to come in. Here's the place where I want you to stand and to meet them and you will see my salvation. And God told the whole city to empty out and go and meet their enemy. And look at what King Jehoshaphat did in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20-22. through 22. So they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Did you catch it? They met for their battle plan. But instead of having, all right, the swordsmen up front, archers in the back, he says, all right, I need the tenors up front and the baritones in the back. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. And they're worshiping. That's their battle plan. 
That's how they're going to go out and meet their enemy. With the worship team. With the guitar solos. That's crazy. And yet I love it. And look at what happened in verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. You see, it was as God's people began to worship and went out, left their place of comfort, left their walls of protection, that's when the Lord moved. That's when the Lord did the miracle. And you can read the whole story on your own, but what happened is God took these three nations that had come together and He had two of them decide, we're just going to kill these other guys first. We don't need their help anyway and we never really liked them. And in the midst of that, they all kill each other. And it says every last man died. You can just imagine the last two guys just stab each other and then they die. And every single one is dead. And so when the nation of Judah gets to the place where God told them to go, they get there and they look out and they see all million of the men dead. And you know what they have to do? They have to pick up treasure for three days. Man, tough gig, right? For three days they're gathering treasure from this multitude of armies and they bring it back in and they get to worship the Lord the whole time. God came through, but God called them to step out in faith first. To step out of their comfort zone first. You see, if we want to be led by the Spirit, we must be willing to step out in faith. It can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. But it is worth the risk. I remember sitting in my office years ago when I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, Once a year, there was a guy that would come and inspect our fire sprinkler system for the building. And so he had finished up. He was giving me paperwork. And then I said goodbye to him. And he starts to leave. And I just felt this tug on my heart. Felt like the Lord was telling me, you need to share the gospel with this guy. And so I did what Peter did. I said, not so, Lord. Not doing it. I don't even know that guy. He's already done with his job. He's leaving. And every step, I just hear him walking further and further away. And I'm like, no, 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 okay. And so I go out there, and he's like at the door. And I'm like, hey, uh, let me talk to you for a second. And so I invited him to church, and I began to talk with him. And I listened to his story. And I got to pray for him. And afterwards, he looks at me, and he says, thank you so much for coming back out to talk with me. Can I give you a hug? And so we hugged it out. And it was clear, okay, Lord, you did something in this guy's heart. And you wanted me to be a part of it. That was cool. There was another time when I was in college. We were at the movie theater going home. And we were talking about how me and the guys, we were going to go play football in the morning. And there was a new guy, a Marine. We're down in Southern California by Camp Pendleton. So we always had Marines coming and hanging out with us. And so we invited this Marine to come join us for a football. And he said, oh, I appreciate it, but I can't. My back's too messed up from Iraq. I I can't do that. And I said, oh, okay, no problem, man. And then I felt that tug on my heart. 
And I said, no, Lord, we're in the movie theater. This is weird. This is awkward. I don't know this guy. But I felt like he wanted me to pray for this guy. And so I looked at him and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Blue 42, hut! And I tackled him. No, I didn't do that. (laughs) But I did ask him, can I pray for your back? And he said, sure. So I put my hands on him and I prayed for him. And afterwards I asked him, I said, how does your back feel? And kind of a little awkwardly he said, well, it, it feels the same. And I said, let me pray again. So I put my hands on him and I prayed even more eagerly and more fervently, just asking for the Lord to do a miracle, to heal this guy's back so that I could beat him up tomorrow at football. And again, I asked him afterwards, how does your back feel? And even more awkwardly, he said, well, it feels the same. And I said, all right, well, thanks for letting me pray for you. So was that the Taco Bell? Was that not the Lord? Was I mishearing? Maybe. But I don't think so. You see, I know that God calls us to be faithful, not to get results. God calls us to be faithful, not to get results. I knew God put it on my heart to pray for him. Surely in my mind I was expecting, Lord, I've never healed anybody before, but it's you anyways. I'm willing. I wanted him to be healed for God's glory. but I'm willing to step out in the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness and say, I'm pretty sure this is what the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to step out and see what He's going to do. And at the end of it, I'm comfortable looking at the Lord and saying, I'm here. I'm willing. I'm ready. You see, it doesn't always pan out the way we expect But no matter what, we want to be a church that says, Lord, I want to be led by you, and I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone, no matter what the results are. Because we don't have a guarantee of what it's going to look like. I'd rather be overzealous to obey his leading than to be too hesitant to step out of my comfort zone. As we seek to be led by the Spirit, I want to give us three warnings to look out for. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit will never lead us contrary to Scripture. He's never going to lead us contrary to Scripture. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, However, when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Among some Christians, they would say, don't limit God. If He's leading you to do something that doesn't line up with God's Word, don't limit God. Don't put God in a box. But it's God's Word. I'm not limiting God. God's limiting God. God said, this is my Word. He's not going to contradict Himself. 
And so we need to make sure that when we believe God is leading us to do something, that it lines up with Scripture. Because if we try to say, no, no, God's bigger than that, that's dangerous. Because now we're opening ourselves up to being led by anything that we think seems right. That's the type of stuff that leads us into believing things like, well, I know Scripture says this about sexuality or this about marriage or this about whatever. But God's given me peace about it. That wasn't God. We need to make sure it lines up with Scripture. Along the same line, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to sin. If you sense the Spirit leading you, but it involves breaking God's clear commands in Scripture, then it's safe to say that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to sin. And number three, the Holy Spirit will never glorify anyone or anything except Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. Jesus is the focus. And even when the Holy Spirit does miracles, Jesus gets the glory. And we're going to pick back up in, in chapter 3 of Acts next week and we're going to see how Peter gives Jesus all the credit and all the glory. So when you step out in faith and the Lord shows up and the Spirit moves powerfully, then praise the Lord and give Jesus all the credit. And when you step out in faith and nothing happens, then praise the Lord. And keep seeking to be a church that listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Keep being a church that is willing to be used by God, even when we would say, not so, Lord, not here, not now, not them. I'm not comfortable. But instead we say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to make myself a fool. I'm willing to be alone. I'm willing to step out because it's for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the testimony of what you did in the early church as they began to meet regularly, to study your word, to fellowship and to pray together. Lord, as we look at the disciples and they wanted to be led by your spirit and they were willing to step out in faith, Lord, even the story of Jehoshaphat and the, the nation of Judah being willing to step out in faith. Lord, it challenges me. It encourages me to see that you can take regular people. And Lord, you can use us. You can use us because you're that powerful, because you are that good. And so, Lord, would you help us to be a church that is willing to be used by you, to be a church that is eagerly expectant for you to provide us with opportunities to represent you, to be the light on this world, to be the salt of the earth. God, would you help us to tune our ears and our hearts to you? Lord, would you give us wisdom? Lord, would you give us Holy Spirit power? 
so that we might be vessels used by you for your kingdom and for your glory. And may it always be about the name of Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here today or listening online and they've not yet put their faith in you, God, we pray that today would be that day where they would recognize they need to stop living for themselves. They need to confess their sin to you and put their faith in you as their Savior, as their Lord. Lord, if there's anybody today that has just been distracted from you. They're tuned into the voices of social media or tuned into the voices of movies and TV or work or whatever. God, would today be the day of just getting back on track? Saying, Lord, I want to live my life for you, but I need your help to do it. And Lord, that is our prayer. Would you please fill us afresh? so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. God, so that we can walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so that when people see the good and the godly in our hearts and in our life, Lord, it would be you. You would get the credit. And you would continue that work in us and through us. Lord, to you be the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and worship? Well, as you go, if there's something we can pray for you about, we'd love to pray for you. So come forward. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week as you seek to be led by the Spirit. And as you go, greet somebody else on the way out and encourage them. Have a great week.